This week on the Indo Daily. I asked her to leave me alone. I felt like she was harassing me and she was insistent that, you know, these were just coincidences. Catherine Martin, she is in favour of scrapping the TV licence and giving money to RT direct from the exchequer. Tonish Michael Martin, dead set against it. No way, not happening. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. They were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy, O'Driscoll through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step and score! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Uh, Will, how are we? Doing well, doing well. It's always nice to be recording a podcast in the blazing sunshine. I've had to close the blinds for the first time ever. It's, it, it's <laughs> that's distracting. Uh, how are you? Very good, very good. Uh, great weekend uh, of rugby. Um, except, the sun, except the Sunday. Uh, sorry, yeah. Well, that no, set the I, tournament back, I think, ten years. I, I, I think <laughs> the next rights deal, the next rights deal, show Saturday, not Sunday, when you're clipping it up with me. <laughs> sorry, yeah. I maybe I was being a bit selfish in that respect. Yeah. Uh, although Ulster were good as well. I'm not just thinking of the Leinster one. So, um, yeah, like I mean, just what a game that was. It was so enjoyable to watch. Um, Real, really refreshing. Like I thought, I did. I will say, and this is my grumpy side coming out. The defense from both sides at the start of the game was appalling, appalling. But, um, wow, the attacking rugby was still great. Um, it, was, it was good viewing. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, there's been – the great thing is that this actually – there's been so I – mean, a lot of breaking news today. I'm sure we'll get to a bit of that later on. But, um, yeah, like, loads of good rugby then to look forward to. Obviously, you know, La Rochelle were, were, were very good as well. Uh, they play such a good brand. So I'm really hoping that that game isn't too cagey in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but it has the makings of a cracker. So look, loads to look forward to. I know the other, the, the it was a bit dour on the other side of the draw, but um, <laughs> not even a try to speak of. I think um, if memory serves. So yeah, it's uh, yeah. I don't know. Great, great stuff. Well, and it, it, obviously the Leinster signing as well will be. You know, I think a little bit controversial as well. Uh, I'm going to try and pronounce the second name Alalatoa. It sounds. Does that sound right? He's an attempt. Yeah, <laughs> Alalatoa. Um, yeah. Yeah, look, it sounds a bit weird, you know. Like, I'm assuming the Leinster think that you know Ty and um, Andrew Porter are going to be out of action, and they don't want to be left short. But they seem like they've got some good young guys coming up there, and they've announced a few different prop signings uh, or kind of upgrades from the academy in the meantime. So um, it's a little bit of an odd one, Will, isn't it? I mean, we gave out about Jason Jenkins a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think everyone's expecting us to give out about that one. Um, and at the moment, I'm probably I'm probably leaning that way. To be honest, I don't <laughs> we'll, know. I don't we'll know. We'll save why that for a little later. 
Yeah, sorry, we'll get to all that yeah. stuff later on. But yeah. like, look, there's loads to talk about. Obviously, Zebo as well. So, um, great time to be podcasting despite the weather being brilliant, and obviously, you know, hoping to get out and get the end of it after the podcast. Yeah, I know. I do say it every week, but we really do have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, <laughs> we I'm, deli- I'm delighted to be joined uh, to, to guide us through uh, today's show by Sunday Independent Rugby correspondent Brendan Fanning. Brendan, how are you? I'm good, Will. How are you getting on? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Appreciate you joining us as kind of Luke teed up there. So much to get to. We might just start, though, chronologically with, with Leinster Exeter. In your role, you know, with the Sunday paper, you were kind of one of the first guys who had a crack at kind of putting a bit of a narrative to it. As Luke mentioned, the start was, as it unfolded, you were maybe thinking back to the quarterfinal at the Aviva Stadium a couple of months ago and, and how that didn't go Lencher's way. And interesting to see how they might respond to that adversity. And, and boy, did they put on a show. You know, with a couple of days removed from it now, like, what, what, what's your general sense of, of how the game unfolded the way it did? Like, the start and then Lencher coming back into it. It, it, was, it was an unusual game from that perspective, but a very impressive performance by Lencher nonetheless. Uh, yeah, the... The line, the reference point that you could draw from the Saracens game to that was was pretty clear, and uh, I I don't think we discussed this before, but I felt, and I don't get emotionally involved um, in in Leinster games at all. Um, obviously, when they're playing English teams, you'd want them to win, but I'm able to get on and do my job without getting overly involved in it. But after that Saracens game back in September, I I thought you know that was a it was just such a downer possibly because it messed up work for the next few weeks thereafter <laughs> and uh, the way Lencer opened up 14 points down look I'll be honest and I admitted this to you earlier on today <laughs> I texted uh, Rory O'Connor who was also on, on the on the same gig as me and I said look this is I, this is over I can't see them there was a passage of play after they went 14 points down and they were they lost. They had about seven or eight phases, and they were either losing the collisions or just about breaking even, but certainly going nowhere. And they ended up mispassing the ball into touch. There was a huge roar off the Exeter bench, and I'm looking at this. And when you're losing collisions in a game like that, particularly against a team like Exeter, who are who are pretty hard, I just could not see a way back in for them. And like I would I would say that the I'd say the buzz they got out of winning that game and the value, the nature of it, the value they will they will get from the nature of that win, absolutely top quality. You know, they they look done and dusted. Uh so yeah, hats off to them, they were excellent. Yeah, look, look, for from your respect, that opening eight minutes, 14-0 down, like as you mentioned, the tackling for the first try in particular, oh Flaherty like waltzed through two or three very, very poor attempted tackles. Was it just for you, you know? slipping off bad tackles early on was there anything else you looked at and thought whoa what's going on here this seems like a bit of a, a, a malfunction across the board or was it just isolated incident support offending like what jumped out to you in the opening eight minutes um now i know look the lens are a good bit more aggressive defensively or have tried to be at least since i departed the scene but trying to put myself in the video room after having looked at the clip from a backs perspective because it was a backs problem I thought a number of things. I thought, look, Robbie Henshaw got sat down fairly easily on a short runner, um, and he kind of got flat-footed. As soon as you see someone sitting down on both feet, you know, kind of getting ready for the hit, um, you know, it puts you under massive pressure outside. Um, so that was probably error one, but you could understand that. At least he stuck to the basic rule of 
you know, if you're if you're not sure, you take the short runner. So you fall back on that principle all the time in defence, right? So that happened. Uh, that left Rory uh, O'Loughlin in a very, very di- different, uh, difficult position. But I thought he hung in there reasonably well. I thought Exeter ran the play extremely well once they had isolated Henshaw, got the ball out the back. Um, but once that happened, it was just calamity after calamity. I mean, James Lowe, once O'Loughlin, and O'Loughlin did have to step in. I thought they committed him really, really well. Once that happened, he's just in no man's land. Like, just, like, he, just, he has to step in and hit O'Flaherty. He just stays out on his own man, and then they like they they run. O'Flaherty runs through a massive gaping hole outside O'Loughlin, and Sexton somehow nearly got to him, but it should never be Sexton's tackle. What should happen there is again the rule of thumb that Robbie Henshaw followed: you take the man on the inside, you you, you just boom. It's like a domino. Once everyone's in, once everyone's burnt on the inside, you know. What I, what I really like to see from a top-class defender and the first couple of guys that I, I was very lucky now in that I, I came up with, you know, looking at Gordon Darcy and Brian O'Driscoll who were just unbelievable at this, with you know, great footwork and, and great ability in the tackle and great readers of the game. But once they were burnt, they were really good at dummying out. So if I'm James Lowe, a little dummy out as if, okay, I'm going to give you that space. I'm going to take my guy. But coming back off his left foot and jamming in on a flarty. Generally what happens is, you know, or, you know you, the guy either buys a dummy, which is best result, and, you know, you take him man and ball. But generally what they try and do is they get the ball away. It's usually a bad pass if you throw the dummy and they half buy it and it usually floats up. What happens then is, you know, Hugo Keenan takes Hogg and Sexton takes the last man uh, or your blindside winger should be tracking across to do that. None of those things happened. Um, because Lowe stayed out. And look, once Keenan's there, you think he probably should make the tackle. Uh, it was an awkward one for Sexton, so I think I'd let him off on that one. Um, but Keenan was there to make the tackle. So it was just loads of errors in a row, Will. And putting yourself in the video room on Monday morning, you'd have to think they'll say they'd be kicking themselves because they put themselves under massive pressure um, off the back of lots of errors in a row. Uh, and you just can't do that against good teams. They'll put you away. Um, and I think uh, they, they, were, they were pretty lucky that Exeter kind of collapsed afterwards and had a, you know, a few defensive mishaps themselves that they'll be kicking themselves on Monday morning too. So they were, that was my view on the first try, Will. Lots of people making lots of errors in a row. A um, little bit like Ireland on a couple of occasions in the Six Nations. You know, I just think sometimes the basic principles of, you know, letting teams, like if they're going to score, they sh- it should be the winger on the very end on the outside scoring after everyone having jammed in and, ba- you know, kind of bailing their guy out on the inside didn't happen the only guy who kind of stuck to first principles was Robbie Henshaw but I think he could have done better so that's my view on the first try Will um I'd be interested to see if that's how Leinster see it but uh, I'd imagine they'd be pretty close I thought it was fairly fairly plain um and it was disappointing um what was pleasing was how calm they were afterwards I mean you know Brendan mentioned it there you know I was panicking as well I was saying Jesus two tries down here some very very poor defense Again, not sticking to first principles for the for the second try as well, letting them go through the middle and buying a dummy really, really poor, particularly when they had numbers left over on the outside. Um, you know, they'd be kicking themselves over that, but they were so calm for the remainder of the game. I think it was, did you point it out? It was a 34-8 uh, once they got the second try in. Uh, yeah, for the last 72 minutes, 34 It was unbelievable. Like, yeah. I just was so impressed with them. And the, the bench, I mentioned the bench last week. I actually wasn't as sure about that once I saw the bench, weirdly enough. But we mentioned on the podcast, I thought that would be the key difference. 
uh, to be honest with you, I can't take any credit for it because once I actually looked at the bench, I wasn't so sure there was a big edge there, but I thought they were brilliant and some real standout performances. So commendable stuff after the the, the two very, the very, very poor opening from a defensive perspective. Yeah, Brendan, because I guess the big question we had was they hadn't really had a test or a proper test since the Saracens game. So how would they respond when the temperature rose in a European Cup knockout game? They didn't even get the Toulon hit out the week before because of uh, their COVID case in their camp. So when they go 14-0 down, it really was, it was kind of, I wouldn't say like the whole kind of project is on the line by any means, but you know, if, the, if, if they lose again, I, you know, after having, making this step up, you are kind of wondering how can they bridge the gap? Is the pro 14, this big problem? Like these are the questions that are going through your head at 14 and down after eight minutes. And that's why I was very impressed with the response to be 2014 up at half time, even uh, show, like to, to, to turn it around that quickly in one half, I thought was very impressive. Like for you, what stood out to you? What impressed you about how they got back into the game? Well, their, their their degree of patience reminded me of Munster at their best in the old days when um, <clears throat> they refused to press the, the panic button. I remember being in Newport one night. When that's Gary, a very I, long time ago now, Brendan. Yeah, when Gary Kleischmann <laughs> was playing for <laughs> Newport. I'm sorry. And they, okay. raced into, they raced into a lead of about two tries, not dissimilar at all to what happened in Exeter. And Munster fans are looked at themselves thinking, Jesus, what's going on here? And... By that stage, Munster have been through the ringer a few times and, and took a deep breath and got back into it. The thing that concerned me about Leinster beforehand was when the the, the injury issues that, that meant that Fardy and Toner were starting in the second row together. And I looked at Hill and Gray, and I was looking at, when I looked at Hill and Gray, I'm looking at two better ball carriers, younger men, closer to the top of their game than Fardy and Toner. And... Toner, despite all his experience, is not a top quality ball carrier by any means. And if you're looking at Devin Toner to carry for you, I think you're 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 in trouble. And Fardy seems to have got over the top of the hill and seems to be motoring down the far side at quite a quite a quite a rate. So that worried me, um, because Exeter are just so physical and their carries are so good. I thought that Leinster would would you know be short short handed in that area, and they weren't able to fix that early. So for them to come back, to keep the deep breath, to kick long and to say to Exeter, OK, you're not getting into our 22 again because teams absolutely lose the plot with nervous tension at the prospect of letting Exeter within 15 metres of your, of your sticks because they'll just pick and jam and pick and jam. And while it looks just unadulterated grunt, it's actually quite scientific and they do it very well. And moreover, referees by this stage are conditioned to ref the defensive team exclusively and they appreciate how Exeter are good, how good Exeter are at this. So all of those things considered, Leinster were still able to stay on an even keel, identify, let's kick longer and force them to come back at us from distance and, uh, and reduce the, the set-piece opportunities for them. Plus, Leinster's scrum was good from the, from the get-go, even when the stuff was hitting the fan. The only problem about that is you can't control the number of put-ins you're going to get. And secondly, despite James Lowe's ability to look lost regularly on D, he was consistently gaining good ground. Every time they got the ball wide to him, he was a, it was almost guaranteed go forward. And that got them, got them in behind the, the Exeter defence. So there were a couple of rays of light shining in. But ultimately, I guess, if you get to a situation like that, and you're able to come out the far side, but then it has to be because experience stands to you. And 
again going back to the Saracens game they could have said oh shit this is happening again this happened this last September and here we go again a desperately so start but they didn't do that so I would love you know Sunday journals in the old days when we were able to get readier access to players the typical re piece you would do is anatomy of a defeat or an anatomy of a victory and you would talk to a bunch of people in the camp sometimes on an on the record basis sometimes on an off the record basis and you would pick up a rake of stuff that really isn't uh, as as doable now as it used to be so um maybe at the end of the tournament Leinster might go back and explain how it was they dug themselves out of this hole because I'd love to hear it. I think it, it would make for a fascinating copy. Yeah, because I even Leo Cullen afterwards was really downplaying not so much the victory, but just that it was a quarter final. He didn't even want to kind of engage in any questions about where it ranks in the pantheon of great Leinster wins or anything like that, which you know he, he would do that, I suppose. That's but true I'd, to form, isn't it? Yeah, it really <laughs> is. Uh, and just on, I suppose. The way the game unfolded and what i really loved about the match just it was just there was so much going on and narratives within narratives like ross Byrne coming off the bench in the first half then johnny sexton gets a head knock and you're thinking ross Byrne had a very tough six nations you know this is a huge moment for him lancer 14 7 down they just got back in the game how he handled and he played unbelievably well but i thought but that's his history will like yeah. the only thing ross Byrne has going against him is that unfortunately he's the pace of a dray horse and there's nothing he can do about that there's no point in Ross Byrne trying to make a clean break. You know, people will open the door, say, off you go, Ross, in your gun, son, and they close it before he's got a head of steam up. But there's lots of other things he does really, really well, not least um, his mental strength when it comes to standing over the, uh, addressing the ball on the tee. I mean, we've, we've seen him nailed games when he was suffering from cramp, when he could barely stand up. And I thought he did every bit as good a job as Johnny Sexton's, and fair news to him. I'm not sure what the benefit will be for him at a higher level. I don't think it's going to have great implications for his international career, but I think Leinster should be very happy that they have a player of his quality who doesn't have everything, but he has a lot of things. I don't know. I mean, Brent, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, could you really say that he's behind Joey Carberry after Carberry's performance in the RDS a couple of weeks ago? Now, I think we'll probably find out a bit more over the next couple of weeks in the Rainbow Cup, but I don't know. I mean, I'm not... I mean, Jesus, like, Ron O'Gara never had much pace. Um, but Jesus, like I just feel like Rothburn gets completely overlooked. Everyone's talking about his brother. Um, you know, I've been talking about Frawley for ages, but I just it looks like they're just not going to play him at ten. I thought he was unbelievable on the weekend. I mean, he's such a calm head on his shoulders. He's a big guy, so he doesn't get bullied around defensively. That's a really important thing. Like that is so important. Like Johnny Sexton, it's an it's an underrated aspect of his game is that he's a big man and he can deal with, you know, big runners coming down his channel. Ross Byrne was brilliant at that in the weekend. As you said, rightly, his kicking, he's so calm on the big days. I mean, there's a, there's so much to be said for that. He was a real settling influence in what was, was a pretty tumultuous little period for Leinster in the game. And things were not all going, I know they had turned it around slightly at that stage, but I just feel like he's, such a good player. I said it. I had in a tweet that he's a, he's a luxury for Leinster to have, and I stand over that. I think he's been good on a lot of big days for Leinster, um, and I feel like you know he's really suffered, as you said on on the on the Irish scene. I'm not so sure it's down to pace. I really feel like he's sitting so long behind Johnny Sexton there that he just hasn't got the exposure. Like if you think about a lot of his big days in an Irish jersey, yeah, against England. Like, 
Well, yeah, you know, he's got his, absolutely, his two over against against England. His I mean, two starts were against England, and he played a full <laughs> half in the Six Nations against a, a good French team as well. So there, he's kind of he hasn't really got many gimmies. You know, he hasn't got to play Scotland at home in the Six Nations starting while Ireland are going well. <laughs> I, I actually, Sorry, I didn't even I mean that, but it just comes out naturally. He has a Scotland thing that he's just not. He's not going to change his mind regardless of how well their championship went. But you're right. He hasn't had a Fiji. He hasn't had like a, you know a few a Georgia or a few of these games really, or enough of those games I think to settle into the camp. And I think as well, once you've had a bad one, you probably need to have another few as well afterwards. Uh, I'll have probably Billy Burns still being included after the Wales game. Um. So I don't know. Like I just feel like he's been very overlooked and at times maybe a little bit mistreated. And look, maybe that's a function of that position being so important to the team. Um, that you know when they do go badly, oftentimes you suffer, particularly if you're not an incumbent. So I just think he was superb on the weekend and worth mentioning. Yeah, I thought it was the best performance of his career. Like he was great against Ulster that time, but with all due respect. Exeter away and Ulster at the Aviva are two different propositions. Um, one thing, Brennan, I'd like to ask you about a player who I thought was brilliant and probably man of the match, in my opinion, and he, he was really good against England as well, was Josh van der Fleer, a player who recently his carrying in particular has been a bit of, you know, he's just kind of picking clever lines. He's just running intelligently. He's coming onto the ball at pace. He, he's not running directly into people that can be very frustrating when you're playing a big English team and you're kind of, it's kind of meat and drink to them, you know, how impressed were you with him? He, he's been so influential in the win over England and now the win in Exeter for Leinster. Uh, if you consider it that, that Van der Fleer had his eye wiped humongously by Will Connors, like I'd love to have been, uh, been present for that conversation when Andy Farrow turned around and said, I know, Josh, you've, you've done pretty well and you've done X, Y, and Z, but we're, we're going to give a will a go. And sure enough, Connors goes in, tackles the socks off, you know, becomes the... Uh, in the in the in the way that Les Kiss was credited for inventing the choke tackle, then Will Connors becomes the professor of chop tackling, and <laughs> everyone's banging on about how good Will Connors is. And fair enough. And Van der Fleer is sitting there thinking, "Jesus, what did I do?" So then he goes back in, and he immediately finds something that a lot of people wouldn't have credited him with, which was. Uh, how can I put this? Just a physicality. He ripped one, but he, he, he stripped one of the extra fellas late in the game. I can't remember which one it was, but it was it just broke up a period of momentum for them. And it wasn't something I'd seen Van der Fleer do very often before. And one of the criticisms leveled at him would have been that he gets biffed around a little bit at the breakdown. When he goes into poach, he's an easy enough man to whack out of there. Well, not apparently not anymore. I'm not sure that was an entirely valid criticism, but yes, I think his, I think the quality of his display, particularly when you think of the lads who were missing out of Lancer's back row, um, it meant that there was extra pressure on him to stand up and fair to so That's exactly what he did. Yeah, himself, Cohen and Ruddock were, were quite a threesome at the weekend, Luke. Yeah, let's not forget Bebop and Rocksteady. They were... Um... <laughs> unbelievable for the whole game like Ruddock just gets through an enormous amount of work like he does those ones that burn your legs you know those ones where you're you know pushing and shoving and wrestling with big men seems to always nearly nearly always come out on the right side of it uh, Conan to me is probably more polished but he was brilliant he's an excellent tackler um 
you know, I think that's probably something about his game that isn't mentioned often enough. He's superb in the tackle. When he lines someone up, geez, he really crunches them. And from an attacking perspective, I mean, he's been very much, um, you know, look, I think he's probably had a few injuries before I say this, but at the same time, when he's fit, he's just, he's so, he's very polished and probably hasn't been spoken about enough because of how effective Doris has been since he's coming to the team. And, and I just thought, I mean, against England as well, he was just brilliant. And I thought they completely outplayed the Exeter uh, back row on the day. And they were a huge, you know, reason why Leinster were able to turn it around. I thought they just got through um, a massive amount of really high quality work as well, not just kind of, um, not just kind of real numbers, you know, like not just going to hit, you know, last man at the road, this kind of, they were just the, they were the effective tackler, uh, you know, positive gains. I would have thought they were positive at rook time. Not many, you know, didn't burn themselves very often. Uh, I think, you know, Brendan was spot on. I thought Josh van der Fleer was the man of the match by, by quite a distance. I was amazed Warburton as a seven didn't mention him. Um, and I thought he was outstanding. So yeah, look, Lancer's back row were, were a key, key part in, in what turned it around for them. And uh, those two guys that you mentioned, I mean, Ruddock to me still amazes me how he hasn't got uh, more Ireland caps. I just don't get it. I, I was bizarre to me how uh, how badly he's been treated. We, we speak about Ross Byrne, but Reese Ruddock, I think, has, you know, it, it, I, I just don't. That one just will, will, I think a lot of Leinster fans who watch him week in, week out will will really feel um, that they don't understand that re- you know the reason for for keeping him in the Irish team, uh, and I think every game he plays becomes more and more evident. Um, perhaps Baird is a reason why. Uh, we ha- I just thought like he's another guy who was outstanding when he came on. We, I know we're we're kind of I'm digressing a little bit. Maybe we'll cover him in, in a little while, but I mean Lancer just looked like they have so much quality there. Levy to come back. Um, you know, you've got uh, Connor's injured as well. We've Doris to come back there as well. So I just think they look so, so deep in those positions and strong. Um, and I just don't see them wavering um, for the rest of the, for, for another couple of years there. They're just, the real issue for, for them is going to be how they hang on to all these guys. Yeah, well, one thing we, we Luke touched on at the start of the show, Brendan, I was one area they mightn't be quite as deep in although they do have two Ireland internationals there as tight head prop you know they're bringing in Michael Alatov from the Crusaders you know the, the options if the two lads are in Ireland camp are Thomas Clarkson who just signed his first senior deal and Vak Adabaladze who's coming back from a long-term back injury hasn't played much rugby in the last couple of years so I suppose from their perspective they are thinking you know maybe we'd like a little bit of experience there with Michael Bent going I think it's fair that we have the conversation about whether it's the right move, given how much we talked about the Jason Jenkins one a few weeks ago. I, like it's probably not exactly like for like because Munster have a lot more ready talent to step in, I would think, than Leinster maybe do with Tyler. But still, what do you make of the move? I think the the guy who could best uh, give you intel on how this is going to work out is Alato himself. So is he coming over to Leinster to do what Michael Bent did and be? Uh, an amazing gatherer of game time, a uh, very consistent rugby player, having had a what can only be described as a traumatic start when he was pitched into international rugby. Declan Kidney, I think, was the man on on uh, on, on the watch then, uh, a level of rugby for which he wasn't suited, and he got absolutely pilloried because he wasn't Irish. So to have got over the the head mess that that must have caused to settle into not a, by any means a frontline job or a second line. Invariably, he was kind of best second or third. I'm wondering, is it possible that Michael Alatoa is looking at Bent and saying, Grant, I can do what he did? Because the queue 
uh, unless they are planning on moving Porter over back to where he started and having gone through the significant rigor and effort of shifting him from loose head to tight head, which we are always told is a is a difficult and perilous journey. I don't know how keen he would be about going back, but the level of of depth that they have now on tight head compared to loose head is it just looks to be utterly lopsided. Like loose loose head is an issue. A few years ago, they were running around the country grabbing fellas and trying to turn them into tight heads. Now they're turning tight heads into loose heads because suddenly everyone's looking at their depth chart, going, "Jesus, you know, if 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 it turns out that Keen Healy won't be able to play until he's sixty-two, um, and Dale Coin doesn't ever actually deliver on what he's what people hope he will deliver." You know what's what's coming next? Well, Dave, and Dave Kilcoyne's only a year younger than Keen Healy. It's not as if Dave Kilcoyne is in his mid twenties. Like there's only a year between them. I'm pretty sure. So like they're basically the same age. Yeah, I just I don't get that. Um, like loose head is not just an issue with Ireland, but it, it strikes me as a as a fairly thin uh, point in the scale. Michael Milne, I don't know how highly they write rate Michael. I remember him at Ross Cray, he started off as a tight head in school and he would have been, had there been a draft, he would have been very close to the top of the draft. Then they turned to uh, Charlie Ward, equally, wouldn't have been as well known, but came through the club system, an absolute top quality tight head, not a huge man. Both of them are directed towards shifting over to the loose head side of the scrum. Charlie then goes to Connacht. Um and Jack Angel, well, another tight head. He's still playing tight head, but they shifted him between the jigs and reels to Connacht. So, it, I don't know, maybe we should have Luke's old buddy, uh, Peter Smith, on here talking us through the depth chart. There is that loose head around the country, never mind Lancer, but it, it looks to me like an area where they could um, they could do it a bit of beefing up. Yeah, look, what, what's your view on the signing? Like, it, it's it's one where, when it comes to Lancer, I think generally they should be very cautious about bringing in overseas players purely because they meant the players they have at their disposal like I think of the Joe Tamani one a few years ago that was one that I thought was a very very much a head scratcher because I thought there was some good young players people like even like Rory O'Loughlin Jimmy O'Brien like guys like that Conor O'Brien who's now injured like even on the wing he played there Adam Byrne like guys like that should I thought should have been trusted more than Joe Tamani who never really delivered much in any big game or, or generally this one slightly different, as I mentioned. Outside of the two Ireland guys who will be away for fifty percent plus of the season, is there a justification therefore when you only have a guy on his first senior deal and a guy coming back from a long-term injury? I, I, I'm finding it hard to get my head around it. I, I prefer that they went with the, the young Irish guys. I prefer they took the chance. Yeah. I think the reason that they're they're not doing that is because of the importance of tight head. Simple as. I, I just think that's the the uh, that can be the only real mitigating factor in any of this. Otherwise, I'd be I, I'd still one hundred percent take the chance. I'd say, listen, let's suffer through. I we can see the value that had. I mean, Keen Healy wasn't ready made. Uh, you know, Tyke Furlong certainly wasn't ready made. They had to struggle through. They had a couple of years where the scrum like brilliant in the loose, both of them always. But you know, in the scrum, there's a lot of learning there, and you have to have time in the pocket there. I think from obviously from what I hear, to really understand the position and get a, maybe even harden your body up to, to the collisions, you know, get a feel for different body shapes that are coming against you and how your, you know, your foot positions under pressure in big games, all those kind of things. I would say with the way Lens are performing in the pro 14, they have enough that they, 
for the 50% of the games that those two guys are missing, that they don't need them. They could take a chance on having a bad scrum of those games and still win the games, would be my view. And I think it's overly cautious, and I think it'll probably be potentially detrimental to them um, in the medium to long term. Um, won't feel like it because he might do a very good job in um, you know, in, in the short term for them, but I just feel like it probably takes away valuable learnings and insights that you could get at a lower level for you know some up and comers and um i think what robin mcbride has done there you know he this leinster scrum looks so good i mean i just be looking to get those guys into the games and get the learning from him he seems to be obviously very highly regarded with going on the lions tour as well um reflect i'd say reflective of a really you know job very well done in leinster uh to, to date um with with the scrum there so i think i'm a bit disappointed with it um as I said, I think it's different to the Jenkins one, um, but not completely different. I think he could still be in the same position where we're, you know, probably slowing down the development of some of our of our local guys, which I, I just think is not a good thing um, yeah, overall. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on. I think it's a, a very fair assessment of the situation. I would love to hear the conversation between Leinster and the RFU. Obviously, as you say, Leinster want a bit of experience there, but... Like, how do the IRFU turn and say, yeah, we think you're dead right. You're the best production line in world rugby, but we're, like, willing to green light the signing? Well, I, I, well, I don't get really, you know, maybe he's, well, they obviously got him cheap enough, but I would say it's pretty hard justification to make when you've got two international tight heads on your payroll and you're not going to use the academy guys below them. <laughs> I, I, that, to my mind, is, is a strange decision. And maybe they have a slot to fill and they felt like, look, um, you know, we'll go for an international person. Um, and Leinster, you know, might only be concerned with Leinster, not Ireland. Well, if Scott Fardy's leaving, maybe they, they're allowed to get one extra. I don't think they need to do it. Yeah, I, I, I just agree. Feel like we, we consistently devalue or undervalue, sorry, what we have in place here with the, our Irish players. We have enough resources here in the country to fill out four top-class teams. Um, we don't need too many. Like, uh, is he an outstanding rugby player? Like that's what I like. I would say Snyman is is an outstanding rugby player. He makes sense to me. He'll add to the team. Fardy makes sense to me. Um, you know, um, could see, could, yeah, could see it uh, up north makes sense to me. They bring on the team and they'll further. You know, people watching the standards they have every day in training, etc. The performance they put in, they learn from it and they'll get better. Um, I don't get this one. Is he is he an outstanding like world rugby player? Is he worth spending extra money on? I don't think so. Per, personal opinion. Hmm. Oh, it wasn't the only transfer news, you know, today, Brendan. Obviously, Simon Zebo, that was the big one. It had been rumored maybe London Irish was his eventual destination. Today it was announced. It was an interesting announcement, a co-funded deal between the IRFU and Munster. And it was mentioned in the, in the in the release that he's taken under market value of what he could have gotten elsewhere to return home. I was the co-funded element of the deal. Did you believe that Andy Farrell wants him back in the system in in, in some shape or form, just to, for as a live option for the national team? You know, what, what's your reaction to it? Well, if you combine co-funding with uh, under market or uh, under value on the market, that it doesn't quite didn't quite tally. So why do they need the extra funding if he's coming for a song? Why do they have to go to the um? the committee the uh, the fundraising committee that they have extra to the organization which helps fund the massively big deals that they've done and look let's be honest monster pay very very well and 
I could see why a lot of players would be very keen to go there because the setup is very good, the facilities are very good. They're in a, a, a thriving rugby setup, albeit not a very successful one. So you could you could imagine why between the good the good wedge you're getting um, and a big rugby brand like Munster, it's attractive. But um, yeah, I absolutely understood Zebo's reasons for going, and he was dead right to go. Um, I just hope we haven't seen the best of him. Um, it would be nice to think that he'll be able to deliver because, Jesus, Munster badly needs him to deliver whatever about Ireland. I think Hugo Keenan has been the find. Robbie Henshaw is the player of the season already, um, but Hugo Keenan has been the find of the season. So, yeah, I mean, good. I'm glad to see him coming back. And Munster, geez, the reaction down there is, is you know, they're doing cartwheels at their... They're desperate men. They're very happy to see him coming. Yeah, it's funny you say he was right to go, and I agree. He's played some great rugby for Racing. I, I'll always look back and wonder about why he played it the way he did. Like he left a year before a World Cup, a World Cup that Ireland at the time were going into. When he left, it wasn't the way you know things were looking good when he left. I always think could, could he not have done a deal to to a bridge to the World Cup, play in that World Cup, and then go? I, I I always thought, why would you leave a year before a World Cup, ruling yourself out of what at the time looked like? Well, I can see Luke's making kind of dollar signs, but like that's obvious. But <laughs> euro signs, <laughs> euro signs. Sorry, or francs. Uh, you know, that's been used in a while, but uh, but you know, the money would have been there a year later. You know, I know I know what you mean, like money talks and rugby like it's a short career when you get a good offer for you know, what role do you think he would have played in the world cup had he stayed well by the end of it you know the, would a back three place have been out of the question like he he, he like he, he like rob carney wasn't in great form i know joe schmidt loved them like when zebo left leave it there will joe, joe schmidt loved them it didn't matter how how far rob carney would have fallen off a cliff but, but um, zebo was an island starter before he took that deal yeah, like I, he, I, when, I he, when he took that deal, he was an Ireland starter. So if he hadn't taken the deal, he might have still been an Ireland starter. I don't, I don't think Zebo and Joe had a great future together. Um, I think when push came to shove, Joe would always go for Rob Kearney. Uh, Zebo was his own man and liked the dollar signs and liked the idea of going to France. And yeah, fine, off you go, son. It's a great rugby program there as well, isn't it? I mean, like, and he has the French. Uh, it wasn't a big move. I think Brendan touched on the right point. Like, it, it, him and Joe butted heads. Like, he was starting in the team. I think, he, did he leave mid-camp and never came back? Like, because Joe was like, well, we're not going to use anyone. Completely different yeah, to he, the he, CJ he, he played his final scenario. season, yeah. Like, Zemo apparently, was, Well, apparently he knew, like, Andy Farrell knew before the Six Nations and still bloody played him for the whole thing. Bizarre. Um, but... Um, yeah, like it was, it was a Joe and him thing, and I think his family would have liked it. I think there was great money going over to Racing. I think he's done a super job from what I can see while he's been there. I think that's been a success. Um, but as you say, you know, I just think he hated going into camp so much. I he hated going in there, and a world cup, the thought of another world cup with Joe would have just wouldn't have sat well with him, hmm. you know. But what about the move now then, like coming back in? Like, is he for you? Is he he comes back in? Is he straight into the Ireland camp? Is he is he knocking the door of a of, of selection for the starting team for you? I don't think so. I think he'll have to uh I'll have to see him in a in a red jersey first and see how he's playing. Um 
you know, he'll have a big job, I think, there to, to turn it around. And I'm not sure that he's the real key part for, for them turning around. I think he's he'll be great for them. I think he's he's a bums-on-seat guy. He's a great personality. He's a, he's a great player. He adds another string to their bow because I think in the midfield, they don't really have a ball player. I like Farrell's handling. He does have good handling, but he's not a real ball player. Zebo's biggest strength, bar his, his aerial ability and his pace, um, I really think it's his ball handling. Like he'd be such an asset outside uh, Joey Carberry, getting the ball to Keith Durrells, Conways, these guys. They'll really see the benefits from playing with Zebo. I think that's it's a real. It's not mentioned often enough about him. He's a beautiful handler of the football, and he'll take pressure off Joey Carberry, particularly with his left foot as well. He's got a cultured left boot as well. So, um, I think he's a great bit of business for them uh, for a number of reasons, but. Do I think he's going to be the real key difference between Munster being successful or not? You know my views on that. I think their defence is the biggest problem for them. Um, and they need to get that 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 sorted pretty quickly. Uh, I think he adds value, absolutely. And he's a great knack for a try as well. So, um, yeah, look, it's a, I think it's great to see him back in, in, in Irish colours. Um, or sorry, on our, sorry, not in Irish colours, but in Ireland. And yeah, hopefully we will see him in the Irish team. I think he has something to add. Like his biggest challenge for me is going to be in the latter part of his career. He's always gotten away with not being a good trainer, not watching his diet, etc., because he's such a naturally gifted athlete. The latter part of his career will be where those kind of things can show up. I think he's got a bit of a journey to go well, on. It's, to it's, all, it's, already show, it's already showing up a little bit. His, his last season with wrestling and you know before COVID as well, very truncated, picked up a lot of niggles, played really well when he was on the pitch. But even they got knocked out by Bordeaux, he missed that game with another injury. You know, and not not serious injuries, but little niggles as well. Yeah, well, I think there's a journey to go on there. Like, not all, like, even, like, Brian O'Driscoll got away with being just unbelievable, unbelievably talented for, for a long period of time. But I'm sure he'd tell you himself that towards, he, he kind of, I think, was it 28, 29 or so, he really, like, he got unbelievably good at minding his body and really elongated out his career. Do you remember there was a period where he was, geez, was he 100 kilos playing? Um, and I think he decided uh, at that period. Now he was still like he was still incredible when he was when he was at that weight and that size. Like he was still brilliant. But I think towards you see towards the end of his career, how much better he looked after his body. He tell you himself like he and he really lengthened out his career to thirty five. When he was 28, 29, I think people were saying, "Geez, he looks like he's coming to the end here uh, at 31, 32 or so." You know. Um, but Dazebo is in that category to me to a certain extent. Like so talented. And you'll get away with that for a certain period of time. Um, but he needs to tighten up on that. He should be a guy who goes to 34, 35 because he's got so much ability and he's naturally gifted with that pace. But that won't last if you don't look after the body. Again, you keep pulling, you know, pulling muscles, different things like that. He'll have different niggly injuries in different areas of your body that will shorten the career and they'll end up impacting your ability to be. Uh, you know, a, a good athlete out there. So, um, yeah, very excited to have him back, but interested to see the, the journey he goes on. And again, whether he gets back into the team. Keenan looks very, very good. He was brilliant on the weekend against Exeter, and he's growing in confidence, I think. Yeah, it's just you look at the Champions Cup final that was played in October, not that very long ago, Brendan. He was the best player on the pitch, Simon Zebo. There's not that many Irish backs, I would say, who could go to a Champions Cup final and, and dominate and, and score two tries and, and look the sharpest attacking player on the pitch. It's funny, um, I, I take on board what Luke is saying, and as he was saying it, I was thinking of Keith Earls, who is on record repeatedly, recently, as saying, you know, it, it, I wish I'd looked after my body earlier in my career the way I am now. Like, he is extremely mindful 
on every aspect, you know, not, not just his diet, but his, you know, whether he's doing yoga or Pilates or, or whatever, everything about his body he's looking after now. And particularly if you're a back, a back three player, it's going to, yeah, I, I, I take Luke's point on board. It's going to catch up with you. You might think you'll get, get away with it for years and you let your talent do the talking. But every so, you know, inevitably, there is going to be a price to pay. And maybe the trade-off with, with Zebo would be, you know, and I, I'm, I'm, I can't answer for him, but maybe he, he reckons he wouldn't have been the player he was if he had been anal about his his prep and his diet and all of that stuff that he was more carefree and, and look let me, leave me alone let me go and play rugby you know if you were to nail him down on the minutiae of uh of getting as much as possible as long as possible out of your career maybe that would have wrecked with his head and his personality i don't know look it's a good bit of business the degree to which it is a good bit of business we're not going to know until he comes back and what shape he's going to be in, and uh, and you know we'll, we'll we'll see. I look forward to it. Yeah, it's a very exciting prospect, certainly. Uh, just before we finish up, Brendan, uh, the Ireland women's team started their Six Nations campaign. We we previewed it last week with Neve Briggs, and I think she was confident of a, of a good performance despite the lack of uh, you know competitive games. And they really get it. Bavin Parsons, someone we talked about, Dorothy Wall, another one, two. Great performances by them personally, and a very handsome win in the end. We we impressed, given that they'd only kind of been training together, albeit a lot of training camps. I think twenty, but without that bit of competitive match behind their belt. Yeah, I, I was I, I I was concerned because while Wales were drilled the previous week, they were drilled in a competitive test match. Right, Ireland didn't have one. They were going in cold. I take that they had they had all the sessions. They'd done loads of prep, and seemingly a huge amount of that prep was spent on skill development work. So the first thing that impressed me was that physically they didn't appear like a team who hadn't played in ages. They were right up to the level of the game and determining the pace of the game straight away. The other two two things, one was the second I saw Dorothy Wall, I thought, hang on a second, this girl's got something about her. She's the first girl I would have seen playing in the Ireland team. And when you'd make, you would stand back and say, Jesus, if she can carry, as well as she looks, she can carry, she's going to do damage. She's 20 years of age, and she is a very, very promising-looking rugby player. The other thing was, there was a tip-on from, I think it was Brittany Hogan who had come off the bench. And I was told that they had spent hours and hours and hours on handling, on the basic stuff that normally you don't get the time to do in training. You expect people to do this on their own. When it comes to collective session, then you've got to get on with match prep and get on with other stuff. But there was a tip on from her and it just made the try. It was a one pass nine to, 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 to Brittany and she just tipped the ball on, perfect weight, perfect height. Dorothy got it and then Biff took a Welsh jersey over the line. And I don't think I'm being overly critical by saying a lot of the time, I would have seen Ireland teams before and they were struggling to make basic five metre passes off left and right hand. But this team seemed to be all over that like a rash. And when you have that, Luke, and then you can spin it out to the Bavin Parsons on the wing and she becomes absolutely terrible. Throws everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. Yeah. I, I turned on the game just at the perfect time because I had turned it on. First place she gets it just absolutely smokes everyone under the post. She's the kind of player that kind of can cross over into, you know, get other sports fans in watching the game. It wouldn't just be rugby fans. It's it's so good to have a player like that, a, a world-class athlete, only, I think, 19 as well. Um, 
you know, what a prospect. Well, I think so. And I think the key thing, like, is, you know, whether they can drive. Look, I think the big challenge for, you know, lots of, of, of you know, women's sport, I think, is, you know, getting the getting the interest interest levels up amongst actually you know women themselves you know and getting big attendances there and i think the the the, the performance that we saw on the weekend um you know i think justifies that someone like parsons as you said that's what put bums like you know like zebo puts bums on seats you know so you're hoping that someone like that will inspire the next generation will also inspire people to come down and say you know what i'd love to go down and see her play just the once um and really help you know further the game here and, and develop it um because you can see there's massive effort put in it. and as brendan said you know you could see the development from the camps which is very hard to do by the way coming in cold from ha- not having played a game in so long so it was brilliant stuff um i will say i was surprised that not like not being as up to date really with the women's game that knee of last week on the podcast um predicted a 30 point win i didn't realize that it'd be short of the mark i thought she was being overly optimistic but geez they were brilliant <laughs> maybe reflective of how poor wales had been as she said against france the week before so um look i think the real test room is going to be next you know the the, the french match isn't it well i think yeah um, well it's, it's funny you mentioned how far they've come but as you say lots of positive stuff and yeah you'd hope um that the team will continue to develop and hopefully get a big performance that'll give them a lot of confidence i think well, it's funny you mentioned Nice prediction there, and I'd heard another prediction that was a similarly handsome thirty-point margin, and then I saw that the handicap was just seven points. I was just thinking, oh, the easiest money, the <laughs> easiest money I ever made. Info. And it was it was thirty thirty nil after thirty minutes. I was like, I, I, oh, I can put the feet up. I can I can I can get the, get the Agos catalog out, circle what I want to buy now with my winnings. Uh, <laughs> that was brilliant. Uh, but as you mentioned, the France game this weekend is the big test. And what's I suppose it's an off week for the men's teams in Ireland, so. It'll be front and centre. As we kind of teed up last week, it was unfortunate that it was clashing with the Leinster-Exeter again. There was a bit of overlap, so people might have only been able to see the first half and then would have maybe had to come back and rewatch the rest. It'll be front and centre this week, Brendan. France, obviously, a much bigger test. Um, I suppose you'd like to get the balance between being able to be the best of the rest and also being maybe competitive when you make the step up. Maybe winning is probably too big an ask at this juncture, potentially, but to even be competitive would be a big step forward. Well, I watched a bit of France, and they are, and I've listened to a couple of girls who would know a hell of a lot more about this than I would. Um, that themselves in England are, are, have been a class apart, and they've set the tone. And if you just look at the numbers game, the the range that France have available to them clearly is a hell of a lot more than our girls. And I would say probably the acid test for the Irish team will be when your your break up or your breakdown rather between girls who've been playing the game since they were minis and girls who you you bring into the game who were perhaps quality GA players or basketball players or whatever. When you have the nuts and bolts of your team having been playing it since they were kids, that, that will make a huge difference. A lot of the French team are in that, um, that category and moreover, they have some serious athletes. So it's going to be very, very difficult. And... Uh, I, I will have my fingers crossed that it goes well for them because you're dead right. They're in they're in the prime time slot this weekend. Everybody's going to be reporting on that. It's going to get huge publicity, and um, you know when you when you're getting that publicity, you need people to go away saying, "Yeah, okay, these these, these girls know what they're at. They're good. They they clearly, you know, are, are being very well coached and very well prepped." But this is a this is a, a tall order for them. 
No, and as you say, it is great that they have the opportunity. Already it looks like the move to kind of decouple the women's six nations, the men's six nations will prove a good move going forward. They get their own maybe time slots and, you know, an RTE broadcast. I know this weekend it's probably a little fortunate there's no other rugby, but to, to get that kind of exposure will be huge. And then hopefully they put in as good a performance as they did last weekend. Uh, lads, a lot covered there. We probably could go on for another half an hour. We didn't even get to talk about the Lions. But we never think- mentioned Ulster either. Jeez, that was a super win for them, Will. Um, you know, I, I, I know it's, uh, you know, we're, we're fairly focused on Champions Cup here. But, I mean, that was a superb performance by Ulster as well. And they've got Leicester who are playing some very good stuff coming up. So didn't get to mention them, but honourable mention. We just ran through so much other stuff. And obviously the transfer news uh, has taken up a little bit of time. But... Just a, a quick shout out to them. That was for any Ulster supporters. I mean, that that was a super brilliant performance by them. I don't know if you got a chance to watch it, Brendan. Um, but even the defence at the end to hold out um, was great to watch. And one of our own, Jordy Murphy, up there as well. Um, you know, had a man of the match performance. You know, he's been off the radar a little bit, I suppose. Um, but yeah, some some positive signs for them. And I think getting some silverware for them could be could be what's missing. That last little you know bit of confidence that they need to maybe take the next step. I don't know what you think. I definitely when it restarted, there was something about ulcers that suggested maybe they have their name on this and the quality of their performance today to connect it. Um, I, I think you, you, you'd go far and wide to find a better centre pairing currently, um, than McCluskey and Hume. I really like the look of Hume, he's a, he's a, he's, he's a big man, but he's really got really good footwork, decent bit of gas, and GC can play rugby. He's, he's a handful, that fella. Mm. Yeah, and they'll have to go through, I think, three English teams and potentially a fourth in the final in Bath if, if, if they get there to win the trophy. So that's, I think, one of the benefits of the Challenge Cup in this format is the, the teams from the Champions Cup dropping down. It makes it a much more legitimate tournament to win, much better teams in it, a much better spectacle. I watched a lot of the Challenge Cup the last couple of weekends and I've been actually really, really enjoying the games. And, you know, a lot better than the all-French affairs that we were served up on the Sunday. Yeah. Which Well, for a road, will be a litmus test for them, though. Yeah, that, like they've done some serious work. I mean, there's lots of talk about Leicester kind of being, you know, a bit of a re-emergence there from what's been a very dark period for the club. Um, you know, they'll be they'll be keen to 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 get back into the top tier of, of English rugby. So um, I, we watched that one very closely. Uh, they've a tough couple of weeks. They've got obviously Munster coming up as well um, as that Leicester match and Connacht as well, who uh, w- would be a good test them. So yeah, it was it just we might as well mention it because I mean it would be great to see them. Um, you know, get a bit of silverware, but as you said, tough tests coming up. Sorry no, to, yeah. to interject. I know we were, we were signing off, but no, 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 no problem. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. It's great to even have another Irish team involved in the European weekend. You know, it gives more more viewing options if nothing else. And we'll be plenty of talk about that game and the Leinster La Rochelle game, I'm sure, in the coming weeks. But for now, Luke, Brendan, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers. That's all we have time from the left wing this week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another podcast. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen at independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye.